0: This morning as I said we're going to conclude the book of James um, looking at verses 13 through 20 of chapter 5 and I've just titled the message this morning The Primacy of Prayer because I think prayer is an important aspect in the life of the individual it's an important aspect in the life of the church and I thought it was rather interesting and, and I, I did not have this title here planned out but about two weeks ago Pastor Joe and I were meeting and he suggested that um, since we're not having Sunday school, we're sort of lacking that um, corporate prayer time that we have in our Sunday school classes and uh, things of that nature, that we open up the church early on Sunday mornings and start a time of prayer. And we did that this morning. Uh, We're starting at 10.15 with our prayer time. So we invite anyone that will to come out. And we just uh, read a, a few verses of Scripture, had some prayer time, and then it's time to start church. Amen? I think it's important that we pray. And if, we, if you can't make it at 10.15, that's fine. Pray at home. Amen? Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your leaders. Pr- pray for our country. Because we are in a mess here. And so I just uh, thought it was rather interesting because the whole focus of this latter part of the book of James deals with prayer. And there are four areas of prayer that James talks about. You understand how God works, right? Two weeks ago, Pastor Joe mentioned that idea to me. Today, the day we started our corporate prayer time, is the day we're ending the book of uh, James and its own prayer. Is that by accident? Not at all. There are no accidents with God. And I'll just tell you where I'm headed. I think I've uh, been praying about this uh, I'm going to get into the book of First Peter, but I think, unless the Lord changes my mind between now and next Sunday morning, that what I'm going to do for the next four weeks is do a mini-series on revival. Because I believe that's one thing that we need in this country and in our lives individually is a revival. i said that in my prayer. I've said it uh, in, in many conversations that uh, without revival or without the return of Christ... We're in a, in, a, in a world of mess, right? And so we need one of the other. And I don't know when the Lord's coming, but I know that God's people can be revived in the meantime, right? And so I'm going to preach a, a four a series uh, messages, four messages on revival. But James, in the book of James, he's had a lot to say about the tongue uh, throughout the epistle. He said that in, in chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, that the tongue can be used to bless God, to praise God The tongue can be used to curse men. And he says here uh, in uh, verse 10 of chapter 3, Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not so to be. Right? So it shouldn't be uh, that you use your tongue to praise God one minute and walk out the door and curse men the next minute. Uh, That's incompatible, inconsistent with Christianity. The tongue, as we looked at last week, can be used to complain about one another, complain to God, complain to each other, chapter 5, verse 9. It can be used to make oaths, as he tells us in chapter 5, verse 12. It can be used to proclaim God's Word, chapter 5, uh, verse 10, uh, as he tells us there. And it can be used, that we will see here in just a moment, to pray and to praise God. So your tongue, that smallest member that he talked about in chapter 2 that uh, is compared to the bit in the horse's mouth and compared to the rudder on a ship can do great damp- damage or it can do great good, right? And as believers, as Christians, how should we be using our tongue? To do great good. I, I think as I, I've already touched on about uh, the prayer life of the church, I think the church today, and not just speaking about Hezekiah, but the church today in general is powerless because we're prayerless. How much time, and don't raise your hand, don't give an answer, uh, but how much time do you as an individual spend in prayer each week, each day? Do you have a set time where you sit down and you earnestly seek the face of God, and you earnestly cry out to Him, uh, and, and if nothing else, just to praise Him and to bless Him? Not to ask Him for something, but just to thank Him for what He's given you. Do you have a time that you do that each and every day? Or do you wait till the crisis comes in your life, and you say, Oh, Lord, help me. Is that the extent of your prayer life? You see, I think when God's people get serious about prayer, we'll see a difference in our own individual life. We'll see a difference in our church. We'll see a difference in our nation. Do you realize that the church today is under attack? The church today is under attack. I don't know if you've been seeing it or not, but I've been seeing a lot of things on Facebook. And if it's on Facebook, it's got to be true, right? I mean, that's my source of info. It's just as good as some of those other networks, right? (laughs) I won't name them, but anyway. (laughs) Anyway, but have you seen where Pastor John MacArthur has been threatened with lawsuits and with fines for having church? Have you seen where mayors and governors are threatening to cut off the power and the water to churches that are having services? Now, that's in America. That's not off over in Africa somewhere or in Asia somewhere or India, wherever you think, you know, or or in one of those Muslim countries somewhere where you would think that would be the case. That is happening here in America. America. And my thought when I think about that is how long before that ideology hits North Carolina? How long before somebody tells us, which they did before, right? That you can't have church. Amen, brother. That's fine. Let him him amen. He good. What are we going to do when they tell us that they're going to shut our lights and water off if we have corporate worship services? Well, we're gonna do. We, you know, I'm. I'm just at the point, and and I I know there's still a lot of unknowns with this virus, right? And I know people have to protect themselves. I understand all of that. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just at the point where I. I guess I'm getting old and senile. Amen. (laughs) Okay, that's enough. The young man with amen back here is fine. We might need to censor some of the amens up front here. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm just at, at the point where I'm thinking, why should we shut down? I mean, shouldn't we be in worship when the crisis comes? I mean, of course, you know, We'll have to see what happens, but I'm just kind of scared that once we start saying, okay, that's what the government wants us to do, where does the separation of church and state fit in? And I understand there's scriptures now, and I'm kind of getting off track here. i chasing a rabbit here. I don't think I'm going to catch him. Uh, but I know there's scripture that says we should obey our, our civil authorities. understand that. I'm fully aware of that. Uh, Romans 13, fully aware of that. But what happens when our civil authorities violate the Word of God? Who do we follow then? You see, I'm kind of like Peter and John when they were arrested in uh, Acts chapter 4. And they were told not to preach anymore in that name. And they said, well, who should we follow, men or God? I can't help but preach in the name of Jesus because I'm going to follow God. That's kind of where I'm at. And so, as I've said many times before, if they try to shut us down, if they try to censor, and Facebook is good at censoring what is being said, and so if they cut off our Facebook account, blame the pastor, but we'll do something else uh, to get the word out. Amen. Uh, We'll do something. Uh, But I just ask that you come visit me in jail. Okay? You will. Now... Let me read you a passage here that popped in my brain as I was studying this morning uh, about this persecution and about the things that are going on. And this has uh, very little to do with James, Oh me, still chasing the rabbit. But I just want you to listen to these words from Matthew chapter 24. And think about, do we see this happening today? And what I find so fascinating about the Word of God is this book was written hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago. It's still relevant today. Why? Because it is the living Word of God. It is the divine inspired Word of God. Matthew 24, you're probably very familiar with a lot of these verses here. But I think we see this happening in the world today, in our society today. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, we're talking about Jesus, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Now, these are the disciples that were with Jesus, and he's told them that he's going away. And that he's going away, he's coming back. So now they're asking, what, what do we need to look for? What are the signs to look for at your second coming? And I don't know about you, but when I look out my window every day, I see a sign every day. What's the thing that uh, I saw something the other day that they're not looking for the signs anymore, but listening for the sound of the trumpet? And I've said this to you before. I, I think Gabriel's licking his lips. He, he's ready to blow. He's waiting on God to give the command. But here's what it says in verse 4 through uh, verse 14 of Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. We see a lot of deception in our society today. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. You shall see um, um, and see that you not, not be troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and... Earthquakes, oh me, we had one this morning, didn't we? In North Carolina, in various places, these are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, has the pastor been telling you, get ready, Jesus is coming? People, get ready, Jesus is coming. Look at this, verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted or to suffer. Joy, joy, right? They shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Listen, we're hated in our own nation. Right? Yeah, that's where we are. And then shall many be offended. But it don't take much to offend somebody today, does it? Everybody's offended about something. Many shall be offended. They shall betray one another. They shall hate one another. Have you heard about Portland? Have you heard about Minneapolis? Have you heard about Chicago? That's just a few. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, good old Calvinistic term, who endures or perseveres to the end shall be saved. Amen. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And people are trying to say, well, the gospel hasn't reached certain parts of the world. But you know what? We have an internet, and it can reach all over the world. There are people in, in Florida and in Georgia, and I don't know, Virginia sometimes, uh, that are listening to our services here. And that's just our church. And that's not all over the world, but that's, a, that's a, a lot of people that are listening to a Facebook service, worship service. Amen. Just think about the hundreds and thousands of churches that have gone live during this pandemic. How many people are getting the gospel? And you know what? Somebody in wherever they want to be can click on Heavis Baptist Church, Princeton, North Carolina, and pick up our service. All over the world. If they have an internet signal. Right? So, the gospel can go all over the world. Folks, we need to be a people of prayer. And we need to be getting ready for the return of the Lord. And as I said, James, and I'm going to get to James now, amen? You've waited long enough. Finally, Pastor, let's get this over with. Oh, boy. Anyway, I'm seeing how many of you are agreeing and nodding. And Yeah, is taking names. No, she's not. <laughs> just messing with you. But I finally got there. But as I was studying through and think, thinking about prayer, it just kind of hit me all this suffering and affliction that James is talking about that the people are going through, uh, it's going to be much worse. It's, uh, and, and I don't know, you know, your, your millennial view, and I'm not going to get into a lot of that uh, this morning. Um, I've got some dear pastor friends that we disagree on this issue about the rapture. When will the rapture take place? Now, this is a parenthesis. This is extra. Get to James, preacher. Uh, <laughs> But many believe that the, the, the uh, rapture is going to take place that will inaugurate the seven-year tribulation. So it will be at the beginning. And that may be the camp you're in. And if that's the camp you're in, that's, that, I, that's the way I hope it's going to be. But I'm in the camp that thinks that the church is going through the tribulation. That the church will not be raptured out until the end of this, that seven-year tribulation period. And I take that number seven sort of symbolically. I don't take it as literal as some. And I meet with my pastor friends every Thursday morning and they will disagree with me on this. But you know what? We don't fuss about it. We don't argue about it. You know why? Because I can make my case from the Scripture. They can make their case from the Scripture. There are some that teach that the the tribulation is in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. The rapture is in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. I I pray that it's a a pre-tribulational rapture. Because it's bad enough now, isn't it? But we need to be prepared in case it's not. And um, I just want to tell you, and this is my, my viewpoint, from my study of Scripture, God has, just from what I can recall, and, and, and I need to do a little deeper, deeper study on it, but God always delivers His people through something. Go back to the Red Sea. Did he deliver them out, around, over, above? No, he delivered them through. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Did he deliver them out of it or did he deliver them through it? The plagues in Egypt. We touched on one of those Wednesday night. He delivered them through that, right? Uh, And so that's just where I'm at with with my viewpoint. And you don't have to agree with me or not. I mean, you're free to have your own viewpoint as long as you can back it up scripturally, right? And understand, all of these viewpoints are based on Scripture. I'm just telling you where I am, so you'll understand some of my teaching and preaching when I talk about those things. And there again, I I hope I'm wrong, really. I hope that it is a pre-tribulational rapture. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? But pray for the rapture, but be prepared, just in case, right? So let's look and see what James says here about prayer. He says uh, there are four areas here that we need to be very prayerful about. The first one here is praying for those who are suffering. He says, is any among you afflicted? That means to suffer uh, here. Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. So believers should be strengthened through prayer. Is any suffering? Let him pray praying during the times of suffering. James's tone here is very pastoral as he's writing the conclusion to the letter here. He's writing as a pastor would write to his people. And so he's saying here that the antidote to grumbling, the antidote to complaining, the, the antidote to all the troubles that you're facing is prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer must be primary in our life. How are we going to get through this world without staying in touch with God, the God who created us? And listen, he's not just some uh, grandfather figure up there as some teach that uh, you can run off and do what you want to, and when you get in trouble, you can go climb up in Grandpa's lap and, and say, Grandpa, I need some help, and he's right there with the candy bar or whatever kind of thing to get you through. Um, I I don't ever remember my grandfather giving me a spanking. Although there were probably several times he should have. None of you weren't there. You don't know. (laughs) Still getting them amens over here. But I remember one time in particular. Me and my brother were wrestling on the bed. And uh, the bed broke. And it's a little old tiny house. Not as big as probably the fellowship hall back there. So it, wooden frame house, and when that bed frame hit the floor, it made a little noise. And Grandpa says, What's going on in there, boys? (laughs) Nothing, nothing. (laughs) And we're desperately trying to put the bed back together before Grandpa walks in the room, which it was no use. It was busted all to pieces. (laughs) But you know what he did? He went and got his tools, and he got another piece of wood, and he fixed the bed, and that was the end of that. Should have tore my hiney up, shouldn't he? But my brother started it, so he should have got him first. So, it was his fault. No, I'm teasing. But some people have the concept that that's the kind of God we serve, that we can do what we want to do, and when we get in trouble... Well, he loves us, He's going to forgive us, and, and everything's going to be fine, and, and, and you know we don't need Him until we get in trouble, then we just go crawl up in His lap, and, and He takes care of the, the, the problem. Listen, we serve a holy God. We serve a righteous God. We serve a God that loves us, that sent His Son to die on a cross for us, but we also serve a God of justice, and a God of judgment. And uh, he's bringing his judgment upon America. And you know where he's going to start? Judgment begins where? With the people of God. Better get ready. Better get right. So pray for those that are suffering. James is writing in the context of a church that is being severely persecuted. A church that is suffering. And so he's saying... Pray for those who are suffering or afflicted. Those in trouble is the idea. But not only that, those that are merry, let him sing song. Praise him. Pray and praise. Do you realize that as low as you think you can get in this life, if you'll just start praying and praising God, you know what will happen? He'll change your whole attitude. He'll change your whole outlook. He'll change the way you view things. He'll get your eyes off the circumstance, and He'll get get your eyes on Him. And that's the whole point of it, to get your eyes on Him, to quit complaining about all the problems that you're dealing with, all the, the issues that you're dealing with, all this stuff going on in the world. Maybe He's using some of these things to get our attention. Maybe He's using some of these things so that we will refocus on Him. Maybe He's using those things so we will surrender to Him. Oh me? Or amen? Maybe. Listen, there's nothing arbitrary with God. There's a plan and there's a purpose. And His ways are not our ways. And His ways are much better than our ways. We may not understand it when we're going through it. We may not be able to see it at the the end of the road. But guess what? God's got it under control. He, he, he knows, and, and he knows what is best for us. Although it may not seem best at the time, he knows what is best for us. In verses 14 through 16 here, James says that we should be praying for those who are sick. Is any sick among you? We pray for sick people, don't we? If we know who they are, we pray for sick people. And we pray that God would heal them. Look what he says. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now here's the prescription. The sick person is to call on the elders of the church. Who are these elders? Well, from my study of the Greek language, there's at least three words that are used uh, to speak about uh, the pastoral role in the church. Uh, Brother Jesse is probably a little further along in his Greek studies than I am, so maybe he can... Add a little more light or correct me on this after the service, brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but let me just share with you these three words and how I think they are used in the Greek text in, in, in the New Testament. The word that is used here is presbyteros, translated as elder. It's the word that we get our word presbyter from or presbyterian from. Uh, I think when you study this word, it is talking about a pastoral role Uh, where an elder, a presbyteros, is a teacher or preacher of the Word of God. Okay? So you have a teacher-preacher aspect, presbyteros. The second word that is used is episkopos. And that word is often translated as bishop or overseer. Uh, I think that is referring to one who has gifts of administration. Gifts of leadership. And those type of areas. The third word is the word poimen. I've never understood the Greek language. You've got presbyteros, episkopos, and then poimen. Why isn't it poimenos or something like that? I don't know. But anyway, it's another story. Just making a joke and you didn't think it's funny. But anyway, <laughs> move on, pastor. <laughs> but poimen basically means pastor or shepherd. So you have one that shepherds the flock. Now, some scholars see three different offices here. I kind of see them all as synonymous. Now, understand that some men may, may, um, what's the word? Exhibit, there we go. May exhibit one or maybe two of these qualities in his ministry as far as maybe he's a good administrator, a good preacher, not so much a good pastor. Or you may have one that's a good pastor uh, and, a, and a good preacher. Uh, you may have one that's a good pastor, good administrator. Or maybe you have one that's just one of each, You know, one, just one of those. If you're fortunate enough, you may have one that demonstrates all three aspects of that. I tell you, you don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, and um, I'm not, I'll just leave it there because I don't want to get myself in more trouble. Uh, but anyway, uh, what's the point of that? Why? What, what's the point of that? I think when you look at all three of those words, what God has done is He has gifted preachers and teachers. He has gifted those in administration. He has gifted those who are able to shepherd the flock the church but Jesus is the head of the church and he has just called us as pastors and and leaders to shepherd the flock to preach the word and to make sure things are, are moving in a direction that would bring glory to his name and so notice what James says here if you are sick let him call for the elders of the church the pastors of the church So, it is the duty of the sick person to call for the pastors of the church. To do what? To come pray over him. When you're sick, do you want the pastor to pray for you? Call him. (laughs) He's not a mind reader. Uh, and, and, and I understand now times are different with this virus and everything, and people you know, just kind of want to keep their distance, and that's fine. I understand all of that. Uh, I do. But I want you to know that if you call me and ask me to pray for you or pray for your, you know, somebody in your family, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Now, look what it says here. Let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. What's the significance of the oil? The anointing of oil. It's symbolic of healing, uh, bringing the healing, but it's also symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming in and intervening. And look what it says in verse 15. And here's the classic text of the faith healer. Now, I don't believe in faith healers. I believe in faith healing, but I don't believe in faith healers. And there's a great documentary that uh, Miss Lee posted uh, on her Facebook page uh, a week or so ago. Um, I can't remember the name of it. i got it written down here somewhere, and I've got so much junk written on my notes here, I I can't remember the name of it, but it's something about Christ Alone. uh, American Gospel, Christ Alone. There you go. It's on Netflix. If you have Netflix, I encourage you to sit down and watch that. It's about an hour and a half, two hours maybe. It's sort of long, but it is an excellent, excellent documentary on the faith healing movement. And one of the ones that they interview on there, and he has several little parts on there that he speaks, is the nephew of a very popular television faith healer. And I won't say his name, because there we go, we'll get knocked off Facebook right then. Uh, But, you know what he says in that documentary? That he was a part of that ministry, he was uh, involved in that ministry, Uh, just eat up with that ministry, until... He decided to read the Word of God. And when he started reading the Word of God, you know what he found? What they're doing is not biblical. And you know what he's doing today? He's preaching the truth. Anyway, just watch that documentary. And if you can't remember the name of it, ask Pastor Joe or Miss Lee, because I certainly can't remember the name of it. But the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Whose faith? You see, when you go to these faith healers and you have a, 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 a serious illness and you're not healed, you know what they say? You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. It's your fault that you're not healed. Right? Not their fault. Not God's fault. It's your fault. What does James say? The prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. Listen here. If you follow the prescribed... Prescription here. The elders, you call the elders, the elders come, they pray for you, they anoint you with oil. They pray in faith. The Lord shall raise him up, and if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. What is the evidence of, uh, uh, of forgiven sins? The healing is the evidence of the forgiveness of sins, is what James is saying here. Look what he says in verse 16 Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Intercessory prayer. Praying for one another. That you may be healed. The effectual. Fervent prayer. Of a righteous man. Avails much. So he's stressing here. That we will see here in verse 16. He's stressing here two aspects. First of all. The righteous man. That is one who is in a right relationship with God. And a fervent. Prayer here, one that prays fervently. Here, now in verse fifteen, it's not explicit in the text, but there's an implied condition here: the prayer of faith shall save the sick; the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. What is the implied condition? The implied condition is the will of God. You see, sometimes it's not God's will to to heal. And you can pray and you can anoint. And you can have all the faith in the world. But the ultimate healing is up to God. Right? And believe me, in my 31, almost 31 years, whatever it's been now, I shouldn't say that, uh, my many years, no, my few years of ministry, that sounds better. In my ministry, how about that? In my ministry... Believe me, I have been by the bedside of many, many people. And I have prayed for many, many people. And the family has prayed for that loved one. And you know what? That loved one died. Did I fail? Did they fail? Did the sick person fail? Did God fail? No, you see, God has a plan. And God has a purpose. And the Bible says it's appointed to men once to die. And when that time comes, it's up to God. Right? It's not up to us. But what James is saying here is to be a person of prayer. To pray for the sick. Let the sick person call the pastors of the church. Let them pray. Let them pray. Confess your faults to one another. Now, you know, I think what that means, I don't think that means that if... if if I sinned that I should go to Bo as chairman of deacons and say, Bo, I, I, I've done this. Unless I've done it against Bo. You see, if I've done something to wrong Bo, then I need to go to him and I need to confess that. He and I, right? And we need to get that right. Right? But if I've committed sin, you know who I need to confess to? Confess to God. Now... I, I, if you have wronged someone, I, I think you need to go to that person. Here's the challenge. If that person has wronged you, and they don't come to you, maybe you need to go to them. That's not easy. Even if you're, you're the one doing the wronging. That's, pardon me, Miss Deborah. If you wrong someone, That's difficult to go to them, right? But what happens when someone is wronged in the church and there's no attempt at reconciliation? No attempt at restoration? What happens? You know what happens? I'll tell you what happens. Satan gets in the ear of that person that's been wronged. Or that person that thinks they've been wronged. Sometimes that's where it's at. They just think they've been wronged, and they haven't really been wronged. But Satan will get in their ear, and do you know what so-and-so said about you? And you know who they use? Somebody in the church. Right? And it creates a whole mess of problems, doesn't it? Did you notice how many times I, I, I should have counted them? How many times in the book of James he refers to them as Brothers? dearly beloved, or something along those lines. You see, the church is a a family. It is the family of God. And we need to be praying for one another. Listen, if we're praying for one another and praying, not praying God to rain down fire on somebody, but praying that God would would bless them and use them and use us to, to be a blessing to others. Listen, when we get serious about prayer... We don't worry about our problems. We don't worry about our differences. Why? We're too focused on seeking what God wants us to do. Amen, preacher. That's that's a good formula for a healthy church, right? To be a people of prayer and seeking what God would have us to do rather than grumbling and complaining about one another and then then going on and, and talking about each other. You see, James has talked about the tongue. I said that at the outset, right? Let's use it to bring glory to God. Let's use it to bring glory to God. He gives us an example here, verse 17 verses seventeen and 18. And this is the third thing we need to be praying for. This is our, our nation. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm not going to read all that. Uh, I was going to read some passages from there. But look what, what he says. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. What does that mean? He was a human. He had the same nature that you and I. What made him extraordinary was the power of God on his life. You see, he's just an ordinary man. And God uses ordinary men and women in extraordinary ways when they are in tune with him. And Elijah was in tune with God. saying, so the illustration here, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Why does he go to Elijah? Well, read 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm not going to read it for you. But anyway, what you'll see, he's a a man just like we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And you know what? It didn't rain for three and a half years. It didn't rain. Now, what happens to a nation that doesn't get any rain at all for three and a half years? Those of you that, uh, and I mentioned about farming last week, those of you that grew up in in farming and uh, any... um, A concept of farming, you know what happens when you plant those seeds in the ground and they don't get rain. They die, don't they? I remember one year in South Alabama uh, in my first church. um, They loved me the first year because we got a lot of rain and all the crops produced a lot and they thought, yeah, we got the right guy, you know. But the next year, they planted the crops. The corn come up, got about so high and was looking so pretty. And I'm thinking, yeah, they they still like me. It quit raining. And it didn't rain anymore. And you know what happened to those corn stalks? They turned as brown as these pews in just a little while. And some farmers lost a lot of money. I don't think they blame me for that, but I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But just imagine, three and a half years with no rain, what is going to happen to the nation? And so it says here, he prayed that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, three and a half years. And you know the story as you read it, the things that were going on there between Elijah and Ahab. And and Elijah sought the face of God, and God told him to do what? Go to Ahab and take him up on Mount Carmel. And you know the story there. You can read it in 1 Kings 18. What happened? There were 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah told them, he said, you call out to your God, and then I'll call out to my God, and the one that answers with fire, he'll be God. And you know what Elijah had said to the people prior to that in verse 21 of chapter 18? How long are you going to halt or waver between two opinions? How long are you going to kind of play the fence, so to speak? And so basically what he's telling them is to stand back and see what God's going to do. And you know the story. The prophets of Baal went up there. They had two bulls. And and Elijah said, you pick out the one you want. I'll take the other one. And so they picked out the one they want. They sliced him all up. They laid him on their altar. They cried. They prayed. They cut themselves all day long. Nothing. Silence. Not a word. And it says, at the time of the evening sacrifice, on God's time, right? At the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah took the bull, he laid him out on the altar, they went and they filled up those barrels of water three times and just saturated that altar. And the Bible says that Elijah repaired the altar, placed the bull on it, they poured all that water on it, He called out to God and you know what happened? Boom, fire from heaven fell. And it burned up the offering and licked up all the water. And you know what that means? There was a great revival. And it says they chased those prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. They chased them down and they slaughtered them. Why? They were eradicating their country of the evil that was in their country. Now, I am not suggesting to you to go out today and start killing people who are opposed to God. Let me just get that clear. But what I am telling you is this. If we don't get serious about praying and seeking the face of God, we are going to be overrun by evil. But when we get serious about praying for our nation, praying for our country, praying for our leaders, you know what? I think God can intervene. Why? He's done it before. Why can't He do it again? He can do it again. Look what happens in verse 18. He prayed again. Elijah prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. The earth brought forth her fruit. If you read that passage, it, it was, you think what we had from that hurricane this week was bad? No, this was a storm. <laughs> it was a flood almost. Uh, and God poured out his blessings on heaven, from heaven on his people. Will he do that again for America? If we get serious if we decide we're going to serve Him in the way that He wants to be served, if we decide we're going to worship Him in the way He desires to be worshipped. Listen to all this um, stuff that they call worship today. I'm not so sure a lot of that is pleasing to God. And I'll just leave that at that. And I'm not saying that we've got it down pat and we're we're perfect in in no means at all. Uh, But what I'm saying is if we don't do it God's way, He's not going to bless it. Not going to bless it. Verses 19 and 20. Prayer for those who have strayed away. Brothers, if any of you do err from the truth, that means to wander from the truth, to go away from the truth here, uh, to be led astray or to deceive or to stray away or to go astray if any of you do wander from the truth and one convert him or restore him let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude excuse me a multitude of sins what is the truth if one wanders from the truth it's the Word of God that's the truth that's what James is talking about if one wonders, the truth, you know what the Bible says about the last days? It says, In the last days, there's going to be a falling away, a falling away from the truth. People are going to want to have their ears tickled, people are going to want to have what I call God in the box syndrome. You know, let's just put God in the box, and as and, um, long as things are going good, we'll just leave Him in the box. But if things start going bad, then we'll open up the box and get God out to help us and get us through that crisis. Then we're going to put Him back in the box. That is not living the way God desires for you to live. That is not giving God reverence and honor and worship. So, let me just touch verse 20 right quick, like. If one wanders from the truth, strays from the Word of God... It's easy to praise God in the good times, isn't it? The difficulty is when when the trials and the troubles come in your life. And if you are not grounded and rooted in your faith, it's easy to go back to verse 9 and start grumbling and complaining, isn't it? But when the trouble comes, that should put you on your knees and put you seeking God. Look what he says in verse 20. Let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Listen, if one's going astray, and you go to him or her, and you're seeking reconciliation, restoration, and that person turns and turns back to the truth, guess what? You've saved a soul from, from, from hell. You've saved a soul from death. But look at the last part of that and shall hide a multitude of sins. How do we normally interpret that? If I go, if someone is straying away, and I go to them, and I speak the truth to them, and they come back to God, then I've hidden a multitude of my sins, right? That's usually the way we think about it. That's not what James is saying here. It's not the sins of the one who goes. It's the sins of the one who is converted and and that comes back, right? Why did they stray away? They got caught up in sin. They strayed away from the truth and they got caught up in sin. And so if one goes to them and speaks truth to them and they are restored, guess what? God's going to forgive their sin. And you've covered over a multitude of sins. Not your sins, but their sins. Right? That's what he's saying. Let me read uh, here in closing. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 17 through 21. This is what Paul says about the ministry of reconciliation. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. You see, when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he became estranged from God. And you and I, are, we come into this world, uh, we come in, into this world born in sin, right? And we have a propensity for sin, not for doing good, because of our fallen nature. And so, God reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? He has given to us, look at this, the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. He has reconciled us to him. And he has given to us, bestowed upon us, the ministry of reconciliation. What are we to do? Seek out those who have gone astray. And seek to bring them into the kingdom of God. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. There it is again. Right? Now then, we are we are ambassadors, representatives of Christ. That's what he says. Though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. For He, God, has made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him amen that's what Christ did for you the ministry of reconciliation he reconciled us to God through his blood on Calvary's cross now you and I are to be the ministers of reconciliation one writer said that reconciliation is not merit based but mercy based wow it's not who you are it's not what you've done aren't you glad it's not what you've done it's who he is and what he has done on Calvary's cross we don't have a piano player so I'm just going to pray and close out the service this morning and uh, if you have a need if you uh, need to talk to me uh, about anything that's been mentioned this morning or something going on in your life I ask that you do that. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we just bow before you at this time. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to share your word. We thank you for these that are here. Father, we thank you for this church, a place that we can come to together and worship you. And Father, we can um, just bow before you today. We thank you that, uh, that you chose to send your son to die on a cross That through the blood of Christ. We could be reconciled to you. And Father, not just in a temporal sense, but in an eternal sense. And Father, I pray today that if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. Father, if there's one here today that is strayed away from you, may today be the day of reconciliation. Father, help us to be ministers of reconciliation, be ambassadors for Christ. Father, I pray you take these words today, you use them for your honor and your glory, and we ask it in Christ Jesus' name, amen.